Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hi, everyone. Good to be with you. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, we have so much to be thankful about, don't we? I mean, it is just so much, so much, so much, so much, so much. So this week I was reflecting on the many stories of people I know and things about even here so at our place and uh, just so thankful. And, you know, um, we had over, we've had over 30 people give their life to Christ in 2019 so far. And I just think that's so exciting and um, it's amazing. So thankful for it. I just want to say a word of encouragement. I thought about this this week as we enter into the holiday seasons. Uh, we just on the heels of Thanksgiving, on the cusp of Christmas, and I just think there's probably people in this room that this is you're in a difficult season. That this isn't one of those seasons that you even have feel like you have a lot to be thankful for. And I was just thinking about that for the people that are in that boat, and uh, it made me think of of the story of Jonah. And you know, Jonah was in the belly of a fish, and he cried out. I mean, talk about being in a pretty terrible situation, right? And uh, he cries out and he prays to God and he actually prays a prayer of thanks. And he basically says, thank you, God, for this fish. (laughs) Thank you for saving me from the sea and sending this fish. And I just want to say, if you're in a storm right now, um, you never know what God's rescuing you from. You know what I mean by that? Like there's there's a story in Acts 27 where Paul, he gets shipwrecked and he ends up being washed up on the shores of Malta and the gospel gets taken to Malta. I mean, he says, thank you, God, for the storm, because sometimes you never know what the storm may be rescuing you from. Are you with me? And so I just want to encourage you, if that's where you're at, go ahead, cry out to God, say, God, I need your help, but also never, never quit thanking him. Because when you praise God in the storm and you thank him in the storm, he may be doing something that you don't even know what he's doing. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're in that season, I know the holidays for some uh, bring up a lot. Um, so all that to say, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, yeah? And now you can look at the person next to you and say Merry Christmas. Go ahead and do that real quick. It's official. We can say it. It's awesome. Well, I have two parts to the message today. Um, and the first part is I, I want to talk a little bit more about the Let There Be Light um, kind of season we're in, but I also want to talk about... Uh, what we're doing into the city. And so the second part of the message is 1 Thessalonians. We're going to get into that first. But the first part is this Let There Be Light um, campaign that we've been talking about. And so I just have a few things to share about it. First of all, most of you know what this is all about, uh, but just in case you've missed any part, I want to make sure you know. First, it's a vision campaign. We're, we're sharing vision for 2020. Second, it's a campaign in which we are going to, in a few weeks, actually transition to an external campaign where it's a storytelling and telling telling our community, inviting our friends to come and be a part of this next chapter that God has for us. And then, and then the third piece has been this financial kind of piece that we've uh, been talking about the last few weeks, and which we are trying to raise an additional $200,000 over and above our budget in 2020 to go towards the four movements that uh, really encapsulate the vision. And uh, I just want to kind of give you, again, hopefully just in the name of good communication, a few kind of points that I want you guys to know about, hopefully clearly communicate um, all of this for you. And so real quick, I have three things. And I'm going to put them on the screen. One, if you haven't done it yet, 
read through the materials. There's a little booklet in the seat near, probably, a, probably near you that looks like this. If you haven't read through this booklet, if you haven't went online and read through what we have, I encourage you to do it because it'll help you fill in the gaps. If you're kind of like, eh, I haven't really been paying attention. I know you're doing this thing. Please just go check it out, right? You go to church here, check it out. Um, it's a big deal to us and what we feel like the future has. So it talks about not in great detail, but in more detail. But we've also, we've already had a few events. We've had our family meeting. We had our dinner in which we've tried to share more. So hopefully you've been caught up. But if you haven't, please talk to us if you want more information. The second piece to this, which leads uh, is to the financial part of it, is prayerfully consider a 2020 financial commitment. And the way we're doing this is we're just asking everyone to consider making and a lot of you have already made a commitment, so to speak, is that you give to the Lord um, and you, you, you faithfully give to him because that's what you've learned the, the, the word teaches. Um, but we're asking, you know, in the sake and the season we're in, could you potentially consider making a financial commitment that is over and above what you typically do? And so if you already give, maybe you give over and above what you typically do. Maybe if you're Giving in a new way, this would be the part, the time in which you do. And so we're believing that God will give not only um, immeasurably more to our church through this campaign, but we just believe he may, you may be a person, we're praying like, hey, maybe there's matching grants. Maybe there's a double portion inside of all this. Maybe 200,000 is way too small. That's our hope and our prayer. And then the third piece is turn in your let there be like commitment by December 4th, which is this Wednesday. And we have two different ways you can do it. We have a print card that these are available out in the lobby, and then there's a digital. Everything's on the website or on the app. There's nothing you can't access through, through, that, uh, through that way. But we've been saying December 4th, that's this Wednesday, we realize some of you maybe haven't even given a lot of thought to this yet, and we would say, hey, it's great, and the reason we give a timeline to this, if you can do by December 4th, is because we're trying to make plans for 2020. But if you need longer, there's no big deal. If you go December 8th, if you go... December 31st, whatever. If you decide to wait forever, that's okay. until after the year starts. We're okay with that, but the sooner the better. And the reason we put a timeline to it is we are trying to build a budget because we can't actually go chase the vision if we don't have it funded. Does that make sense? So why are we going to spend money if we don't know we have it? And so um, that's why we're asking for commitments, not because of any other reason as we're, we're chasing something that extends beyond what we normally do. So we need to know if we actually can do those things. And so if you want to do that, that would be awesome. If you can do it by the 4th, wonderful. If you can do it by maybe sometime this month, we would be very, very appreciative. And again, you do that either through the card or through, or through online. So that's the, that's the logistical, practical side of Let There Be Light that we've been talking about for a while, and I make sure, and I hope you have all those things sort of in your brain. But I felt compelled to share just a little bit of heart side as well. Uh, you know, anytime you make a financial commitment, especially one that's tied to our spiritual life, um, hopefully there's a measure of prayer that we're putting into this, and there's a conviction in your heart on why you're giving, right? Uh, financial decisions in this day and age, for those of us that are maybe younger, and this is new to us, this is the culmination of adulting, isn't it? Uh, which is my favorite millennial phrase, adulting, but I want to encourage you with a scripture today that may help you in this season of prayerfully considering what you want to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Paul's on the subject of generosity, which is, he talks a lot about generosity to the city of Corinth. But starting in verse 6, I'll just read what he wrote here. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously, which is a 
which is a great um, principle in terms of sowing and reaping that Jesus talks quite a bit about. But verse 7, I love this for us in this season. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I mean, so there's so many things I love in this passage, by the way, but God, God loves a cheerful giver. And he says, each of you should do what you've decided in your heart to, to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And I just want you to hear from the bottom of my heart, generosity is never a guilt trip. And it's not in the scriptures. It's not what we're doing here. But he writes, if you give, it will be given to you generously. And I think sometimes we get a little like, well, I don't give to get. Well, we aren't giving to get by any stretch. But there is some scriptural truth that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So there's something true about we don't give to get, of course, but for some reason when we give and we trust God and we're generous, he's generous to us. And so I just want to encourage you this week um, that God, God always calls us to be more generous. And so maybe for you, it's a prayer um, to say, God, what does that mean for my life? So that I can give what I've decided in my heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but Lord, that I can cheerfully give this. That's my, that's my prayer for each and every one of you. And so the scriptures teach this, and uh, I encourage you, if you haven't spent time praying yet, uh, I encourage you to do that this week. Um, if you need to get in a prayer room or if you are married, maybe it's praying with your spouse. And uh, may God lead you in giving in this season and in this time, and it be bigger than let there be light. May it be more about you and your life and you and your relationship with the Lord and who he's calling you to be. That's my hope and prayer is that each one of these little movements that we do, it's, it's not just about the movement, right? It's about what God's doing in us. So let me pray. Hopefully that it gives you a little bit of thought for the week as you consider maybe how to kind of step into this. But Father, we pray that as we um, trust you with this whole uh, let there be light kind of vision, that Lord, we know that that impacts each and every one of us on a personal level. And I just pray that Lord, you would continue to lead and guide this church in a way that really shows us um, not only who you've called us to be as individuals, but as a church. And so, Lord, we just pray. I pray for each of my friends here that you would lead us this week. I pray you'd lead me. I pray you'd lead all of us in a way that just um, knows, what you, knows what you're leading us to do in, in respect to this particular campaign. So, Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so let's get into this today. Like I said, I have kind of a second part, which is the major part of the message, which we are getting into to the city. We are talking about Thessalonians today for just a few minutes, believe it or not. We are getting close to the end of the series. We're 11 weeks in. We've read through quite a bit of the New Testament together. If you're reading the Bible, we are actually reading, um, I can't remember how many books it is, but we're reading Romans all the way through Hebrews. Anybody know how many books that is? I don't know. Something like no, you don't. Okay. I don't know. It's, it's over 10. And uh, four, oh, 14. I have it in my notes. 14 different letters varying in length from one chapter to 16 chapters. Good thing. I thought of that before I started. Um, <clears throat> so we're seeing over and over again that God, uh, God was encouraging these cities with so much 
truth through the Apostle Paul that we get to see 2,000 years later that the same encouragement and the same instruction is good for us today. So here's what I want to do is I want to invite my daughter Karis up here, and she's going to read our scripture today. Would you welcome Karis? Give her a hand. Yeah, she's coming up here. The mic on. All right, and so Karis, before you read, um, how would you rate me as a dad on a 1 to 10 scale? <laughs> 10. Yeah. Unrehearsed? All right, Karis is going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and then a few other verses from the book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Chapter 3, verse 2. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker, in God's service to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that these would be persecuted and turned out in that way, as you well know. Chapter 4, verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in the order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you to, and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do more and more. All right. Thank you, Karis. Give her a hand. And I've had her do this once before, I think it was when we were doing the book of Philippians, because Paul, when he writes his letters, he, address, he begins his letters with a very specific, specific introduction. He always, of course, introduces himself, he addresses the city he's talking to, and then he says, grace and peace to you. And uh, the, reason, the reason I even wanted to, the, the, word, the word grace, by the way, in, in the Greek is the word charis, which is why charis is up here reading with me, and, uh, and I love that we named uh, you know, her name means grace. I also love that Emily's middle name is Faith, and I love that Addison's middle name is Hope, and I love that Grayson is named after my favorite color, gray. Um, and <laughs> that was real. I almost named him Black, but I thought, I don't know. That's a little weird for a name, but gray, that works. Um, I'll come back, because black is my favorite color, as you can see every Sunday. I'll come back to grace and peace in just a moment, but I first want to talk about what is going on in the book of Thessalonians. Let me show you my map that I showed you last week. Um, I really like these maps. Apparently, I did this last week, but I'm not planning to use these every week, but uh, I think they're kind of fun. And so I want to talk a little bit more about Paul's journey, and you can read about the journey in Acts 13 through 17, um, and it tells of his journey at least in, in that particular one, in that, those passages, it talks about his second journey. Um, but Paul... Paul actually leaves out of the city of Antioch, and he starts to head towards uh, these other cities that you see up here, Lystra, Derbe, Iconium, and he heads up to the spot. And whenever he was actually going through these areas, it was actually in Lystra that he meets a young guy named Timothy, right? So Timothy is this young leader that he brings along with him from this point forward. And Paul wants to go east, but instead the Lord prevents him and makes him go north up to the region of Bithynia. Bithynia. Everybody say Bithynia. Bithynia. So he heads towards north towards Bithynia, and once again he stops and he wants to go east and head to Asia, but the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't go east, you got to go west. You guys remember this in the story, right? And he goes over to Troas, and everybody say Troas. Troas is right there on the edge of uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and he's there, and Paul gets a vision when he's in Troas that he's of, of, a, of, a, 
of a man in Macedonia begging him to come to Macedonia and help. And Macedonia is, of course, the region that you see across. And so he heads over to Macedonia to help these people. It's believed, by the way, that Luke, the writer of the gospel, joins Paul and his gang about this point. So if you're like, remember Luke, he writes the book of Luke, he writes the book of Acts. And he has all this information about Paul. How does he have it? Well, he joined up with Paul in the journey. And so he gets his story. And they head over to Philippi and then on the Thessalonica, which is in the region of Macedonia. And in Acts 17, I won't have this on the screen, but I'll just tell you a little bit about what happens. We actually find a very bit of, uh, kind of quite a bit of helpful information about Paul's trip to Thessalonica, where he and his ministry partner Silas established a church. You know, Karis read in chapter 3, verse, uh, I think it was 2, it says, In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you know. So Paul writes that in the letter, like, hey, you know it turned out that way, as you know. Like, there's a story behind the story. Like, what's, he doesn't reference it in the book of Thessalonians, but what is he talking about? Well, it sounds, in Acts 17, there's like all sorts of Jews and Greeks that are living in this city. They start to come to know Jesus. Well, there's a lot of Jews that are like, this is not cool. This is not great. All these Greeks are coming to know the Lord. That's not, you know, you can't do that. And so there's a riot that gets started in the city of Thessalonica. There's like this riot. They get, they, they going to go and they want to find Paul and Silas. They want to do something with them. So they go and try and find them. But Paul's busy. They can't find him. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's making tents. Maybe he's shopping. I don't know what he's doing. But he's not available. And they find this guy named Jason who's hosting him. He's the host home. You know what I mean? Like he's like hosting Paul in his home. They drag Jason out of his house. They drag him before the court. They want to throw him in prison. Well, that night, Paul, because of the unrest in the city, leaves the city, and he heads south towards the town of Berea, and then on to Athens, and then over to the city of Corinth. And so once in Corinth, Paul is thinking about his time in Thessalonica, and he's a little worried about him. He had to leave in the, you know, in, in the middle of the night. He had to take off. And so he actually sends his young leader, Timothy, back up to Thessalonica. So Timothy, obviously a great leader with a great name, something like that. Uh, well, Tim goes back up to Thessitown, as I like to call it. And, and then he, sent, he goes and he checks on the Thessalonians, like, hey, we left, everything going okay. They expect it to be chaos, and the city's in good shape, and the church is in good shape. And he comes back. So, so Timothy, then after he encourages him, goes back down to Corinth to tell this to Paul. And he goes back to Corinth. He says, hey, everything's going great. And here's a few things that you should encourage him in. And so then Paul writes a letter. And he writes a letter and he sends a letter from Corinth back up to Thessalonica. And there's the letter. And apparently this is the first time that there was a straight shot from one place to another. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, so anyway, he sends this letter. And here we are with that letter today reading the words that the Holy Spirit gave Paul to write to the city. And, I, and, and here's the cool thing about this letter. This is the first letter in a chronological order um, that is believed to be in, that we have of Paul to a city. So it's the very first one and from an order of date. And so this is the letter that sort of starts at least what we would call the letters that Paul writes. And I love how he begins the letter, right? He begins these letters with the famous words, grace and peace. And I want to talk about these famous words for just a few minutes. Uh, it's believed, like I said, not only be the first recorded time in Scripture that he uses these words, but there's, there's, there's a story behind that, right? Like he was in a city 
that had been in a riot where there was unrest between two groups of people. Um, and he's like, grace and peace. Right? Like, grace and peace to you. And I think we can't talk about grace and peace enough. In nearly every letter, uh, we know this, but in nearly every letter that Paul writes, he begins with grace and peace, but he also ends with peace and grace. (laughs) And he says this over and over again. And I mentioned that the Greek word for grace is charis. And now this is a little bit of a, you know, in this day and age, this would have not been a typical greeting to a letter to use the word charis, to use the word grace. In fact, it would have been a different word, Greek word, that was related to charis that people would have used. They would have written the word carry-in. Everyone say carry-in. C-A-R-Y-I-N, carry-in. And carry-in means rejoice. So he would have said, greetings, I rejoice with you. But Paul says something different. Paul says, greetings, I send grace to you. And he greets these people with grace, and they would have noticed the very intentional switch here in a formal letter that he uses the word grace. And people reading this would have immediately saw this not only as interesting and different, but more than likely as the faithful in Thessalonica, they would have seen this as, oh, this is, this is very true of the gift we have in Christ Jesus. Jesus had been ushering in a new type of grace, and they were encountering this radical grace of Jesus that forgives not only forgive sin, but it's not just about God and man, but it was, about, it was about human and human, too. Like, how do we extend grace to one another? How do we forgive one another? How many times does Paul talk about forgiving one another? How do we, how do we, how do we love our enemies? How do we love one another and bear each other's burdens? And Paul talks about this type of grace over and over again, one that was patient and kind people of all types. See, Jesus and his ministry that was kind of spreading through the new world was establishing a grace that was really about being a new type of human being, a type of grace today that we're still learning how to live and embody. So he says grace, and then he says the word peace. He says, now grace and peace to you. Now peace is from the Hebrew word shalom. Everyone say shalom. Shalom is one of the best words out there. We talk about it a lot in the church these days. But it, shalom is it's an important word in the history of the Israelites because um, it means harmony. It means every kind of good. So whenever you greet someone, you would say, I, I, you know, shalom to you. So Jews would say shalom to one another as a hope that, that not only harmony and unity, but all of God's goodness would rest on all people. So Jewish people would joyfully greet one another like, shalom, shalom. you've seen it, it's in the movies, right? And shalom, peace to you. But Paul does something interesting here. He actually brings two languages together. He says a Greek word, charis, and he says a Hebrew, Israelite word, shalom, and one greeting. He says, grace to you, charis, peace to you, shalom. Why is that important? There's something that Paul's doing here where he's actually kind of bringing together and wedding together something that had been broken for a long time. The relationship between the Greeks and the Jews, between the Gentile and the Jew, right? And he brings them together in one sentence. This is a pretty pretty brilliant move, if you really think about it. Like from from a standpoint of like speaking to your audience, he's speaking two languages. He's speaking English and Arabic. Are Are you with me? 
He's speaking like Republican and Democrat at once. <laughs> he's speaking OU and OSU, right? Yeah. That Bedlam game last night was not very Bedlam-y, was it? But um, he's pulling two languages together that don't always understand one another or agree with one another. He's speaking to two distinct cultures, a Greek culture, which is a polytheistic, very cosmopolitan, metropolitan, secular culture, and he's speaking to a Hebrew culture, one that is monotheistic, meaning one God, the God of Abraham, one that is very religious, Jewish world. He speaks this, and he does this because I think that I think there's something gospel-oriented even about this one move where he's bringing cultures together under the united name of Jesus. And I think that there's something for us today, even as we read this and as we kind of reflect on what is he doing when he says grace and peace, when he speaks it into this city that had been an unrest between these two groups of people, and he says it right off the bat, and then he continues to repeat it throughout the rest of his letters, what is he really up to? I've wondered, I've wondered if the experience in Thessalonica have really kind of catapulted, if you will, this whole understanding. But Paul introduces his letters, and it's not just an introduction, is it? It's a hope, a message of hope to bring Jew and Gentiles together under the name of Jesus. It's also a declaration of grace and peace for and in the believer. So I think we could say a lot of different ways today. I think we could say, oh, may God, may God give grace and peace to our city, right? I think we could also say, may God give grace and peace to me. I think we could also say, may God, may God allow me to give grace to others. May God use me to be a peacemaker in the world today. You see, throughout the letters, Paul unfolds the meaning behind grace and peace, the theology, if you will. He, of course, talks about, first, we are saved by grace, right? Jesus, not by our own works or efforts, but by the work of Jesus and his grace that we are saved. So this, his theology, he continues to talk about this. We are saved by grace, meaning not by the means of anything but his forgiveness, his mercy, his unconditional love. Jesus also has come to establish peace on earth. Here we are in the Christmas season, remembering that Jesus came to be the one who gives peace. He's come to bring peace to our brokenness in our world. And we know that it's the peace that can actually it's, it's Jesus and the peace that he brings that actually breaks down the walls of hostility and hatred. And we've seen it time and time again. And in fact, it's not just that kind of peace, but it's the kind of peace, as I mentioned earlier, about the peace that we need in a storm. No greater moment, right, when the disciples are freaking out because of the storm on the boat they're in and, and they wake Jesus up. And Jesus wakes up and he says the words, peace be still, and the storm subsides and the wave go flat, Right? and the power of God to bring peace in the midst of any circumstance. So this letter, this letter that was to a city, we also understand it's a letter to all of us. And we believe, um, I think we not only believe that whenever Jesus, I mean, excuse me, whenever Paul wrote these words, he wasn't only writing to a letter, but it was the Holy Spirit writing to you and to me today. And I, I just want to, I just want to, 
consider a few things today around grace and peace. Uh, that's some of the backstory of it. They're, they're, and, I, and I love the backstories. They always give me like more context. And I'm like, ah, that's so cool. That's so great. But I don't know about you, but when I think about my own life, I ask myself, am I giving grace and peace the way I ought to? Paul summarizes, Paul summarizes the book of Thessalonians in pretty brilliantly in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you to urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And when I was thinking about this particular message and I was trying to like go, what is, he, what is Paul writing about in, in Thessalonians? Well, he goes, he, he writes about a number of things. But he basically kind of cites to summarize, like, I want you to live in order to please God. I want you to live in a way in which you uh, not only are ridding your life of sin, which sometimes that's how people think they please God, right? Which certainly is part of it. I know pleasing God means putting him first in all things. I know pleasing God means living a life worthy of my calling, which is what we talked about last week. But for the sake of starting at the beginning, at least the beginning of this particular letter, how can I please God by being a person of more grace and more peace? How can I do more and more of that? We not only need the grace of God, but we need to give grace to others in our life. And I was Every time, I've always been kind of surprised, and I, and I mean this in a good way, but I'm always surprised, like, whenever we all think about it, when you think about it, when I think about it, are there people in my life that I need to extend grace to that I haven't? I start making a pretty good list pretty quick. People that I haven't forgiven, people that I haven't given my unconditional love to, people that I haven't extended mercy to. Are there people in my life that if I was going to please the Lord and I was going to give more and more grace, who's the persons in my life, the people in my life that I need to extend more grace to? And I think in the same way, if I thought about peace, you know, for a lot of us, it's like, where do I need peace in my life? Which we're going to talk about in just a second and let us reflect on those things. But how do I establish more peace? How do I allow Jesus through me to establish more peace in my family, in my workplace? Have you ever been around a person that when they're in the room, they just bring peace? You know what I'm talking about? It's like somehow they just make everybody more at ease, more at peace. I mean, I've never read about a spiritual gift of peacemaking. I just think it's more like a it's more, of a, it's more of a thing that we're supposed to go and just do. Like, it's something we're supposed to embody. There's no spiritual gift of grace or peace. You understand? It is, it is who we are. It is what God has called us to do. If we're going to go live and please God, if we're going to go do more and more of the things that he's called us to do. When I think about Jesus, I say all the time, man, he brings grace and peace. He brings grace and peace. How do I do more of that? So I, this morning is really simple. I, I just want us to reflect on it. And so I have two questions. Two questions. The first one is, who in your life needs more grace? And maybe you could qualify this question, like, who needs more forgiveness from you? Who needs more mercy from you? 
who needs more unconditional love? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, Cousin Eddie needs that. <laughs> right? We have that person in our life that is hard to love. And then the next question is, what or where do you need an extra measure of God's peace? And I could switch this question to be, where do you need to establish peace? But maybe for you today, I was thinking about those that I mentioned at the very beginning today that feel like you're in a storm. What and where do you need an extra measure of God's peace? So the letter begins with grace and peace, and today I want us to just allow that to be what encourages us. So if you just bow your heads, I'm just going to lead you in a, in, a, in a moment of prayer where you get to reflect on these questions. And the first one is just that one question. Who in your life needs more grace? I want to give you 30 seconds or so to just allow the Lord to speak to you, allow the Holy Spirit to just bring someone to mind that maybe you, realize, you didn't even realize they needed your grace. Who in your life needs more of your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy, your unconditional love? Holy Spirit, will you speak right now to each and every one of our hearts? Spirit has just brought someone to mind. Maybe just as a way of acknowledging that, just maybe nod your head where you're at. Just nod your head if you're like, yeah, I have someone that needs more grace. Well, let's think about maybe in your own life, maybe this is going to apply to some more than others, but, and I'm just going to, I want to, I want you to identify it so we can pray for, about it in just a moment, but what or where do you need an extra measure of God's peace right now? I'll give you just a few seconds, of course, 30 or 45 seconds to reflect on this, but this could be peace like two worlds being brought together that are broken, relationships that are hostile that need peace. This could be a storm you're going through. This could be a worry that you're facing. Or maybe in a broader context, you just want to, you want to be a peacemaker. <laughs> just think on that for a moment. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us right now? peace in this as a way of acknowledging that today before him would you just maybe nod your head everybody's heads are bowed just nod your head and say yeah I'm still looking for some peace in this just nod your head 
That's good. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to, I'm going to begin with that part. If you need peace in something, maybe right now, as you sit right there, um, just allow this prayer to sort of just run over your heart. I, I believe one of the first things that the Holy Spirit does when we pray and we ask Him to move is He gives peace. And so, Holy Spirit, and you may even feel the need to put your hands in front of you, but just... Holy Spirit, we ask that the peace that transcends all understanding would fall on the people in this room that are asking for it. That, Lord, your peace would cover over worries, cover over anxiety. That, Lord, in the storm, that, Father, you would, you would give peace to those who ask for it. Even if the storm isn't done, even if the storm still has journey ahead for someone in this room to walk through? Would you give them peace as they journey? Trust. So Holy Spirit, would you just come upon each person that needs it? We ask it in Jesus' name. And Lord, we also ask that, Lord, you would fill us up with extra measures of grace, the ability to give grace and extend grace to those who need it. Father, would we be grace givers and peacemakers? Would we be able to embody the ways of, of you, our Lord Jesus, who was always grace and peace. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, any person that came to our mind today that we need to extend grace to, that we would not procrastinate, that we would not discount this moment, that, Father, that we would see this moment that we're sitting in right now as a moment that you are leading and guiding us to step into who you've called us to be. So, Father, may we live to please you. May we do this more and more. May we ask ourselves, who needs grace and peace? And, Father, may we be the people to go be the grace givers and the peacemakers. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.